Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. I'm talking to you on early Tuesday evening. It has been a wild day, uh, certainly in the NFL, and a wacky one here for the Washington Commanders. Maybe wacky is the wrong term, but they did actually make a move with the de- trade deadline. They traded William Jackson, uh, their top free agent signing in 2021. They traded him to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The, the, the terms are borderline irrelevant. They're getting a conditional six in 2025 and sending back Jackson and a conditional uh, seventh round pick in that same year. It's clearing, it's clearing cap space. They did that. I'll get to more of that in a second. And it's also just acknowledging that they completely botched that move and they've moved on. And we already knew they kind of had moved on based on how they weren't using him the last couple of weeks and the way Ron Rivera kept talking about it, but now it's official. William Jackson is gone. So how are we going to talk about that? Well, first off, before this even happened, I had the great guest Logan Paulson on with me to talk about kind of where things are with uh, this offense, with Taylor Heineke, what's different than it was with Carson Wentz, uh, and also broke down – well, I shouldn't say we broke down tape, but Logan obviously is a tape guy, and we got his view on a bunch of other angles with this team, the passing game. We talked a bit about the secondary. Always a lot of insight with Logan Paulson. Then the commanders make this trade. So now i got to, at a minimum, have to update my intro. But at a maximum, can I get somebody to come talk to us about what happened there? What went so wrong in William Jackson that they had to trade him? one and a half years into a three-year, $40.5 million contract. Who better to talk about a cornerback from the South than the mouth of the South, Fred Smoot. Uh, So Fred and I just wrapped up. We talked about what did go wrong with Jackson, but we went beyond that. What's going right with the secondary since Jackson uh, was was benched? But also, what's where are the concerns still? We talked about Kendall Fuller. We talked about Bobby McCain. Uh, Fred gave insight into all aspects of the defense. Even even chimed in a little bit on the offensive line and his view, like mine, that Sam Cosme may be better off at guard. But then we talked a bunch also about um, the quarterback situation. And we, with both of these guys, I asked about Kirk Cousins and the idea of what would have happened if Kirk Cousins had stayed here because they've been in the desert pretty much ever since looking for a quarterback. What would have happened if Cousins had stayed? In other words, we have a lot to discuss. So we'll get to all that in a moment here on the podcast. Of course, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Uh, In addition, go check out my work on The Athletic. Uh, A couple different stories up. I had one today sort of going into the trade deadline. Um, But I talk about a lot of things coming out of this last game, including the Taylor Heineke Terry McLaurin connection. What's so interesting about that? Why is it working so well? Uh, got into um, so, some interesting historical numbers in relation to Taylor Heineke and this offense as well. Uh, so you can go check that out on The Athletic. Um, I, I don't really have a ton more to say that I haven't already said with these two guys. But, you know, at the end of the day, I give Washington credit for moving on from Jackson rather than pretending that this was working. And again, we saw this leaning over the last few weeks. He gets benched in the first quarter of the week five game against the Titans. Rivera tells us post game. It was a decision that they felt they needed to make. We asked Jackson about it. And he says, he's got a back issue. We ask Rivera about the back part the next day. And he kind of says, I don't want to discuss it anymore. Then we get a week later, a report about a trade demand. Rivera doesn't want to talk about that. Jackson denies that he uh, made one. And last week, Rivera was asked, does he think Jackson's going to play for this team basically again this year? And he kind of was searching for an answer before getting to, we'll see, we're just focusing on the guys that were here. Clearly something ultimately went off there. We know about the, the, the fit didn't work. That's obvious. Beyond that, but curious to, to learn more if possible about what happened. I think William Jackson seems like a pretty reasonably nice guy. He's always helpful and, and, and courteous with us in the media. Uh, feels like his teammates liked him as far as I can tell, but just it did not work out at all here. And what a huge miss for this organization. You know, the first year under Ron Rivera, in terms of like 
adding veterans, they were thrifty to an extent, right? You're talking about guys like Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick and Ronald Darby. Not big, splashy signings, but guys who the organization thought would be a good fit or worth the risk. Clearly, they most of those moves paid off pretty nicely. The next offseason, they decided to spend more, and that's where you get William Jackson and Curtis Samuel in particular. Samuel's obviously playing fine this year. Last year, the injury was a mess. But Jackson was just a complete miss. And then they went and do the the Carson Wentz move this year, which was not a free agent signing, but a trade. And the jury at a minimum is still out on that one. So, um, you know, I'm not one of those people that thinks you always have to go take big swings. But when you do, you, especially in a salary cap sport, you better not miss and miss that much. It's one thing to be a guy is, you know, good, but maybe he's not as good as you paid him. Okay. But if, in Jackson's case, to this degree, an absolute miss and a huge one at that. Uh, in terms of the, the ramifications, don't quote me to the penny here, but from my understanding, what's going to happen now is, so the Steelers are absorbing the full contract, which is the remainder of his salary this year and 2023. Washington had void years going out through 2025 that if Jackson had played through his contract, he would have, there would have been like $3 million dead cap over those years. Instead, all that money gets rushed up to now. So it's a $9 million dead cap hit that the commanders will take next year. They're saving though, over $6 million. I think it's about 6.75 million roughly, uh, next year. Uh, because the salary would have been over $15 million. So if they're moving on, they're moving on. They're saving that money. The Steelers, by taking the trade, will pay the rest of Jackson's salary this year, which is about $2.77 million. So from a cap perspective, you know, Washington did about as well as it could. That doesn't alleviate the, the, the whiff in the first place. Um, and it doesn't change the fact that, you know, their cornerback room right now is Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Juice, and then you've got Rashad Wild Goose, a guy they picked up off waivers before, right as the season was starting. And, you know, Danny Johnson, Christian Holmes, like when we talk about future needs, cornerback is going to be high on the list. And I'll be, uh, I'm excited for you to hear, maybe excited is the wrong word, but Fred Smoot had some interesting things to say about Kendall Fuller as well uh, in the secondary. So you'll want to hear that as well. So uh, a necessary move at this point unfortunate that it came to that and you know like with a lot of things with this team we'll see it's not like they're playing great in the secondary but they've been at least less leaky i keep using that word a lot whether it's the offensive line or the secondary i gotta check my thesaurus get some new words um but anyway um they've been more stable and you know hopefully if they're fortunate they get cole holcomb back this week ron rivera told us that we'll he'll, he'll tell us more about that uh, on wednesday same with Jahan dodson so we'll see where that goes. And, you know, Chase Young is going to begin practicing on Wednesday. I would say realistically he's not playing a game at least until um, the Eagles game on week uh, week 10. But we'll see. Um, we'll see about that. But when you get you can add him, and I talk a lot about that here as well, um, you know, we, we'll see where he's at in terms of his – uh, what you know, what he's able to do right away. But you know, you adding more pieces that should only help the defense. But ultimately, it's they're still pretty thin in the, at cornerback. They didn't add any players at the trade deadline, so this is the group they have. Uh, of course, it goes without saying, I guess. Deron Payne's still here. Antonio Gibson's still here. Only Jackson was moved. Uh, so that's where they're at. Uh, where we're at is we're going to get to these conversations. I'm really excited for you guys to hear them. Um, I talked to Logan first. But I think I'm going to switch to Fred Smoot first. Does that make sense? I don't know. Let's play mystery. I'm going to play one of these interviews right now. Well, I'll figure out which one. But either way, Fred Smoot, Logan Paulson coming up here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Legit excited to have our next guest back on the show. He has, of course, become one of the go-to football analysts covering the Washington Commanders. He does fantastic work over on his Instagram page. He is Logan Paulson. My guy, how are you? 
I'm good. How are you? I, I'm good. I would make you the official tight end of the podcast here, but you know, I can't. I, I, Doc Walker is around too, so I really, you know, it's going to be hard for me to separate. Yeah, you got to so. keep everybody happy. Yeah, you got to keep everybody happy, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can't, I can't even make you the official Paulson of the podcast because Grant comes on with me frequently, so it's complicated. I mean, that, and he's the guy. He's the guy you want. So don't don't burn that bridge. I'll just be the guy. I'll be the extra one. How about that? No, not 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 at all. Not at all. Um, you know, it's, it, we're basically at the midway point of the year. You know, there's no exact midway point anymore, but basically sure. that's where we're at. And it's you know we want to take a pulse of the team. But let me ask you. I mean. You know, you're really immersed in the, in covering this team this year with all that you're doing for 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 the for the broadcast and the website. How, how's it going? I mean, it's going good. It's easier to cover a team when they're winning, obviously, and that's something that I've talked to you, I've talked to Kaim about, and it's we're getting to live that firsthand. So it's good to see them starting to win some football games. And I know people are like, oh, these aren't beautiful wins, but I don't really care as long as they're winning football games or find a way to get it done. They're on a little bit of a, a hot streak here, and. Hopefully they can build some momentum and, and carry it into this kind of tougher next couple of games. So, and so to that end, like, you know, you obviously come at this from the player, from the former player angle, and we're all sure. coming at it from not that um, I'm not coming at it from the fan angle, but I'm always like looking bigger picture, probably to a fault over the, in the moment. And it's hard for me to look at this and go, well, okay, here they come three in a row. You're right. It doesn't matter how you get it done. There's momentum here that they're, they're in the playoff mix, uh, all that. But like, eh, I don't know. Do I really want to buy into sure. it? But as somebody who's been in these locker rooms, do you buy into what you're seeing that this is real momentum versus, you know, beating the Bears with a just with Justin Fields, the Packers are reeling. Sam Ellinger made his first start. How do yeah. you sort of view that? Well, I think the Bears. You know, I think after we after the Commanders played them, I think obviously there there was like a formula laid in that game that kind of showed how good that offense can be with him at the helm, how they can do some different stuff. They, they've they been working on getting him some more touches, all those different things. So I think that offense might end up being kind of sneaky good by the end of the year. And I think when anytime you're dealing with a scrambling quarterback, um, you know, that's tough. Uh, <clears throat> that's a tough matchup. <clears throat> Excuse me. And obviously Green Bay is not who they once were, but you still got Aaron Rodgers over there. And I think the other thing that's important is like last year specifically, I felt like they didn't win games they should win. And this year in this last, you know, in the three game winning streak, they're winning games that they should win. And I think that's something that is maybe it, it's important. It's something that gives me optimism. I don't, do I think they're going to go out and beat Philly, you know, by 40 points? No, but can they make it a competitive game if they get the best version of this team? Yes. Because I think the, in addition to kind of winning games, you're supposed to win. I think they've showed a, a grit and I hate that word because everyone's using it right now, but a stick to a resolve that has, um, that is hard to build in a locker room. Like I've been on some bad football teams in my career in the NFL and in college. And one of the things is like, when you're down, you kind of say, Oh, here we go again. We can't get this done. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of the ball. So for them in the game yesterday to do that for them, you know, against even, um, even the, the bears to kind of have that resolve defensively to get that done. I think that speaks to something more now is the roster the most talented do they have holes 1000 and can they get those fixed this offseason 100 but can they kind of sneak some you know punch up for a couple games and do some things and make some noise yes it just depends on whether you get the best version of the quarterback each week and whether the defense continues to play like this you mentioned the grit uh term it's like i always feel like if if the team was a madden had madden ratings <laughs> like they would be you know pretty you know fairly lower in, in offensive line and, yeah. and things like that but like grit they'd be like a 10 yeah like it toughness does, or something yeah it really does seem like they're always able to like you know what what you know the john malkovich line and rounders you know hanging around hanging around <laughs> like they just stay in the mix and obviously taylor heineke seems to personify that i don't know if you saw the stat I want to say this was from NFL.com or NFL research okay. that since the start of last season, Taylor Heineke has now directed four fourth quarter comebacks. That's more than Brady, more than Mahomes, right. more than uh, Russell Wilson. And granted, their teams may have been winning outright. <laughs> but that aside, you know, it, it says something about what Heineke's resolve is. And obviously he did it again this week um two games in with with this version of taylor heineke sure. do you see the offense he's clearly a different quarterback than carson wentz where they're looking to throw their, mo their their mobility or wentz's case lack thereof are you seeing though a very different offense or is it just how the quarterbacks are working within the offense 
Yeah, I think it's it's just a more high-definition version of the offense. I think that's what you get when you get a guy who's played in the same offense for his entire career. You know, he was in this offense in Minnesota. He was in this offense in Carolina. He was in this offense last year. And I think you build up a a really deep understanding of what, what the coach is looking for. And you see that, right? Like, you know, one of the things that this offense has historically been very good at, going back to Norv Turner in Carolina, is hitting the deep in cut, right? And with Carson that really wasn't a huge feature of this offense, right? You could tell that Scott was trying to get to it, but it just, for whatever reason, Carson couldn't see it. I don't know if that's, he doesn't understand the read. He doesn't understand the coverage. He doesn't understand the conference, the concept is supposed to attack coverage. It could have been all of those things because he's new to the offense. But I'll also say that, you know, Heineke understands that. He understands what Scott's looking for on those plays. He understands which side of the field to read. You now I say that he made a mistake in the game to my eye, but Overall, you get a cleaner brand of execution. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, I think is is very, very valuable is just having a guy who understands the vision of the offense and understands the details of the offense at a high level. And I think the ceiling with the uh, with Carson at quarterback will be and is much higher. But right now you're getting a better product because Taylor knows where the football is supposed to go and he understands defensively how they're trying to stop the concepts and then the answers within the concept. So I think that's where you really get the value from Taylor, in addition to kind of the off-schedule athletic stuff that he's able to do. It seems like, the in the most simplistic terms, the biggest difference with Taylor Heineke in there has been he's just getting the ball into the hands of his playmakers. Sure. I mean, Carson Wentz has acknowledged his goal is each play, I'm looking for the biggest play I can make. Thus, he wants to use his arm to throw the ball 40 yards down the field. Where and obviously that wasn't really working. There were too many times where, where Terry McLaurin in particular was just not involved in the offense. Now Heineke is like, you know what? I'll throw the five yard pass. I'll get the ball out of my hands. Or at the end of the game, I'll even put up the jump ball because I'll sure. let, I'll trust my guy to make the play. And that seems pretty simple and reasonable to 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 me. Is it as simple as reasonable as as that? Yeah, and I th- I think it's important to understand, like, I think we're saying the same thing, but the the execution is a little bit cleaner, right? And I think that that's, and I feel like Scott feels more comfortable getting to different stuff in the playbook. And he has had the opportunity to get to more stuff because they've been on the field a little bit more. They've been able to sustain drives. They've been able to stack plays. They've been able to sequence stuff. And as a coordinator, that level of play, that, that helps your play calling, right? Because you're like, oh, I want to run this reverse later in the game, but we got to run this run first. And I want to run this play pass, but I got I want to make sure I hit this run first to run this screen. And so being able to stack plays because of that execution, I think has led to a healthier offense. And I and I do and I, like when you watch Carson, when you go back and watch his plays and his game, one of the things that sticks out is like he just doesn't always know he doesn't, he's not super familiar with the offense. So even like on simple stuff, which they call for Taylor, like Carson was having a difficult time executing that to the level, to the standard that would be acceptable for this offense and to make this offense function. So you mentioned the big play. I think that's important, but it was also kind of the little stuff that he wasn't doing at a super high level. And again, that's, I think, stems from a lack of familiarity. And obviously Taylor has that in spades with, with regards to this offense. Um, the offensive line is a big component of all this. You know, Wentz was sacked 23 times in six games, which at the time uh, tied him for the most sacks t- uh, taken by any quarterback. And there's, you know, combination of, hey, is the line, mm-hmm. you know, just not playing well, but Carson Wentz, his own uh, lack of um, uh, instincts in the pocket factors in as well. Now with Taylor Heineke, the sacks are down. I don't necessarily know that the pressures are down. They certainly mm-hmm. weren't in the Green Bay game. Sure. What, what, so what's been your sense on that? Is it is the offensive line, and some pieces have moved around, Trey Turner, yeah. played this week not Sidney Charles but um is the line playing any better or is it just a better fit with this particular quarterback yeah I think I think I th- think you see the symbiotic relationship between quarterback and offensive line and how they impact each other so dramatically so obviously when Carson's in there he doesn't feel pressure that's always been a thing he doesn't feel pressure super well he also because of his lack of experience in the offense doesn't anticipate throws really well and also I think this is just my own personal opinion but quarterbacks with strong arms just tend to be poor anticipators because they've never had to to do that at a high level right so I look at what Taylor does he a he's got really good pocket presence or at least he's had over the last two games and he's elevated the offensive line and I think the other thing that he brings is he anticipates throws so even when there is pressure he knows conceptually because he's seen it before, because he's run the offense before, 
like how the defense is matching the concept and where the void is going to be. Like I think about the, uh, there was a throw and an in cut to Terry in the Indianapolis game. Um, it was on the scoring drive and he's throwing the ball before Terry's even in his break, you know? And I think like that, again, that's taking half a second off the offensive line in terms of how they have to protect. And it, uh, like it makes it easier for the offense to function. So I think that element is, it can't be understated. Like he's just been very efficient in terms of where the football needs to go. And I think that's really cool. And, it, he's, and, it, and then you mentioned the Green Bay game there. He's doing stuff, elevating that group, moving in the pocket, stepping up, not inviting pressure. Again, there was a couple issues in this game where he's backpedaling versus pressure as opposed to stepping up. People make mistakes. But I do think that his play style has definitely elevated the group. I think it's still at its core the same group. But I think, you know, I, I was part of the team in 2013 where Robert Griffin was starting a quarterback and the offensive line had given up uh, five sacks in five consecutive games. And all of a sudden, Kirk Cousins becomes a starter and they don't give up any. And I think you just see like the the relationship, again, between that anticipation as a quarterback, the pocket presence, the awareness, and how it can elevate a group specifically in an area of statistical analysis like sacks. Yeah, no, that, that RG3 Cousins thing was incredibly noticeable. I remember that for me, like that was probably one of the first times that really crossed my mind of, oh, okay, it isn't just sure. the offensive line not being able to pass protect. The quarterback's got to be able to help out the cause um uh, and that was a good example of that um so all that said they scored 17 points sure. against the Colts they had 10 in the last you know 455 uh they were they, they really couldn't sustain too much offense for most of the game uh and the Colts have a good defense let me not disparage them but you know th- yeah. th- the point is how is Washington's offense going to get better they only scored 12 points against the Bears that was with with Wentz and, and Wentz playing with a busted finger but anyway like is this offense going anywhere is there any reason to think that this can get better I think Heineke raises the floor Mm. but I don't know that it's uh, you know if if they're going to be potent enough and now they're going to start facing teams they're going to be better than what they have so like just broadly like where are you with this offense right now yeah I mean I think the offense definitely looks a little bit more functional you know as an nfl offense uh right now with with taylor at at the position again we talked about the familiarity with the offense the anticipation understanding where the concept is good versus the defense that's called all those different things are really important um and i do think that scott actually called a pretty solid game in the first half and i when i I mean a solid game for this offense and what i mean by that is like i think you are trying to kind of walk this razor's edge between being too aggressive and making taylor make too many decisions and put the ball in harm's way and and letting the defense kind of win the game for you right and so i think when you're walking that line any kind of negative play or any kind of bad play uh really just becomes insurmountable so obviously in the first half there's that screen they throw to terry where dax mills kind of misses the block the timing seems a little bit off you know and everyone's like oh my gosh why would you do that and then that same play earlier um against the chicago everyone's like oh my gosh great great decision to get terry the ball and you know what i mean <laughs> right. It, the the process is still there they they did it from a different formation they disguised it a little bit they they they, they put some winner but that kind of negative play there going from going to second and 14 is it's just this offense isn't equipped to deal with that right then they run that screen to antonio gibson they sniff it out it's tackle for loss it's second and 13 again um in the second quarter those types of plays for this offense because of this run first style because of the conservative element that they're trying to bring they just don't work. And everyone says, Oh, why would you run a screen there? I'm, I'm personally a fan of getting Antonio Gibson, the football. I'm, and I'm the fan of getting him the ball in space. And so I like that play call. You hit a big play, you're first down, you're in that 40 yard area moving into kind of the strike zone. That's a good time to take a shot. You run a screen off of that. You're kind of playing with defensive expectations. Like I like that call. I don't like the result. And again, you can argue about whether or not the offensive line is blocking that in the most effective manner, whatever, but I like the thought process. So to me, it's just if you look at the first half specifically, there's two plays, three plays that really like Shanghai the offense, right? You know, after the uh, that screen pass, they run the same play that Terry has the 55 yard gain on, and the ball gets batted down, and Curtis Samuel has space to get to the first down. So again, like those are the types of things where it's like, man, the offense doesn't look good, but because they're walking this really fine margin here, any any little hiccup becomes kind of a like a, it gets compounded and becomes a big deal so I think that's one thing I took out and obviously there was that stretch in the third quarter which wasn't very good at all you know they kind of were having a tough time but you, again you run into some of the same problems so 
that's that's where the offense is at. Like it's functional, it's good, but I think they need to just tick up the aggression in terms of getting away from running the football so much. I think there's something here. Obviously, the skill position players are very good, but you got to kind of, you know, right now they're at a, a like a four aggressive aggressiveness level calling plays. I think they need to get to like a six, five, six, seven, you know, to make the offense really be something that complements the defense at a high level. Right. Rivera talked about the urgency that the offense showed at the end of the game when they were trailing. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if that's the thing you like, why don't you sure. do that earlier? Like the end of the first half, the last uh, two-minute yeah. warning. Like, to, I would get it if you were like, say, the Colts with Sam Ellinger in his first game. Yeah. But Heineke's experience, we've gone through this. So, yeah, that was, to me, um, uh, frustrating. And, and to that point, like, I th- and I'm really glad you brought that up because, like, that's something where you could just see the indecision. Like, you're, you know, you, you, I'm okay. You can run your normal offense, but at least have a little bit more urgency like don't get that play snapped with 10 seconds left get it snapped with 15 or 20 left and then you're kind of moving you're stressing the defense you're not allowing them to sub and there there seems to be a purpose to what you're doing there it was kind of listless it's like are we going are we not going like what are we doing and again again, I think that's a great point like that's something in addition to those couple play calls in the first half and the play calling in the third quarter you're kind of like what what's the purpose here and I think that's something that again crops up occasionally with Scott and how he's calling plays. And I don't know if that's Scott or if that's Ron, who's making that call there, but that is something that is very um, confounding in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, for, for sure. You know, something that just crossed my mind as you were uh, making a, f- a few uh, points here. Um, I love what you said about the result may not always be great, but you like the thought process. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is how I always try, like when it comes to what roster building, how I try to assess it, because things happen. We're dealing with human beings. Sure. You can call the perfect play and a guy, you know, like JD McKissick just tripped over the field monster yeah. the other day, right? Yeah. And things like that, or just a guy gets hurt, et cetera. Yeah. This brings me, and I, this brings me to we're at the, tr- we're talking before the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And William Jackson has been a conversation piece around here about will he get traded or even if he doesn't, will he be back? And we're discussing Carson Wentz and the fit there. Like, it feels like with, like, I, the Jackson fit never to me made a lot of sense. And it got worse once he became clear that he really wanted to play in a man concept, which (laughs) doesn't really exist to the degree that he acts like it does. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up. Because that always bugs me. I'm like, what? Like, where are you going to go? What's going on here? Anyway, go ahead. Right. right. Washington plays like the 10th most man uh, (laughs) coverage app. But, okay, he clearly – forget from his perspective. From their perspective, he wasn't a a scheme fit for them. And then you have Carson Wentz. As you said, you know, Heineke just has more experience. But it seems like some of the things Scott Turner wants to do, Carson Wentz is just not – that's not his bag – historically mm-hmm. so is, is this you know are these examples and i don't want to put you on the spot but are these examples where maybe the thought doesn't make as much sense and maybe that like there's some almost like a connection between jackson and wentz moves that like they knew they needed more there mm. and they went for the talent but not necessarily the fit yeah i mean that's a really that's like you know that's the million dollar question when you're evaluating talent in my opinion it's like what is the fit for these guys. And I think in the draft this year, they did a really nice job finding that fit piece, right? Guys that filled needs, guys that had a lot of experience, guys that get, could make you better right now. I think with the, you know, again, with the, with the um, William Jackson, the third thing, he is a good football player who was very productive, who was maybe the most productive corner in the NFL. I think in 2017, I don't want to misquote myself, but I think that's the year, you know, very, very high level production. You say, gosh, like that would be an upgrade, especially given the quarterback situation that we have right now. And you assume that you can get a guy to learn kind of basic man. I mean, it's not like this defense is is crazy complex. I mean, the match principles are tough to learn, but they run cover three match. They sprinkle in some quarters. They sprinkle in some cover six, but like it's not most defenses in the NFL look like a version of this, right? So you think, oh, we'll just get them to adopt the system. Obviously that doesn't work out. And again, to to, to the point that I made earlier, like, you like the process. You you identify you need to get better there. So you say, let's get the best or one of the most talented guys on the market and bring them into our system and make it work. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, that, that's why it's not a one-to-one thing when you're evaluating talent is that evaluation falls down somewhere, right? The, the, the personalities don't match. He doesn't get the coaching he needs. The communication between the player and ownership isn't, isn't what it needs to be. And it just doesn't happen. And that happens all the time. And that's okay. You just have to be okay with that happening, especially as a fan, 
right? And being able to say, okay, we made a mistake. Now let's move on. And I think the team's doing a good job this year of doing that, essentially saying Benjamin St. Juice is playing better. We need to move on from this. How do we do that in the, in the most effective way for the team? And the thing with Carson is interesting because I feel like obviously there's been a whole bunch of stuff swirling about the other quarterbacks they were looking at, all these different things, the fit, all that kind of stuff. But I think, again, there you identify that the one limiting factor or the, the major limiting factor last year in this team, you know, going from seven wins to 10 wins is probably the quarterback, especially if you believe that guy can elevate your roster, right? And again, this year, I think in training camp, Carson got continuously better and looked like he was ascending into the season, which is what you want. And you have this Philadelphia game and this Detroit game where he's getting shelled. And then you can tell that he is, he's not quite the same guy after those games. He's concerned. He's holding the ball too long. He's got shell, like shell shock, essentially. And then you say, man, was that decision to bring him in the wrong one? No, because at the time it made perfect sense. But obviously things have happened since then that make that decision look poor. And again, like you brought up the offensive line and just kind of overvaluing or overestimating where that group is at, especially in relation to the quarterback you bring in. I think that's a huge variable here in terms of making those big free agency moves look bad. Like the, pro the process isn't bad, but the result is bad. And you got to be okay with that at times in your, in your talent evaluation, obviously. Right. And I think this always comes down to, on, or not always, but it comes down to on some level, what is the purpose of my move? Is the purpose like we have a plan and within that plan, we're going to bring in the people that we think will help execute that plan. Or is it screw it? We got to get up. We, we, we got to yeah. go from seven to 10 wins yeah. and we need something. We can't just keep coming back with this. So let's throw through the dart. And obviously, you know, a quarterback, that's what it did. We'll see what happens whenever Went is uh, uh, ready to come back and play. Um, I, I, I actually do want to ask you about Kirk Cousins. He brought up in a sec, but before I get to that, uh, let me just quickly on the defense. We have spent an inordinate amount of time talking about the defensive line for obvious <laughs> reasons. Uh, Jamin Davis got a lot of attention early in the season. We just talked about William Jackson. He's been mentioned many times. Um, even if we're talking just about the secondary, Cam Curl gets a lot of attention for positive reasons. Kendall Fuller, uh, you know, cornerback Fuller is living on an island, so there's good and there's bad and all that stuff. I feel like we never talk about Bobby McCain. Yeah. And I don't pretend that when I've gone back and watched game tape that I'm sitting there studying him per se because I'm typically looking at the other things I just mentioned. Yeah. But it feels like, and feel free to tell me I'm wrong, that when I'm watching games and I'm looking at some of the bigger plays the, the, from the opposing offense in this game as well, that I see Bobby McCain sort of on the wrong end of it. Uh, in this game, there was the play on the play where Jonathan Taylor ultimately fumbles uh, the Derek no. Forrest play. McCain is like running. He's rushing towards the line of scrimmage, then cuts over when he sees the run, overshoots the hole, which Davis then cuts the opposite way and if Forrest doesn't hit him he go he's going for sure. um, a big game and then there were other passes where you know you can't always tell because we don't know what the coverages are whose responsibility is but I'm like ah, is he reacting late sure. I, but I've also said that the McCain curl pairing is maybe the best safety combination they've had here in years so where are you at on 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 Bobby McCain how do, how what kind of year do you think he's having and what did you see out in this particular game I think that's the thing is like, because you watch a lot, I watch a lot of Bobby in the spring and in OTAs and I watched a lot last year is you get a sense for who he is, right? You understand like he's, I think he's a good player. I think he's a fine player. He's, he's more of like a, he's not like someone that elevates the defense, but he's a piece that you can plug in. And then when you get a guy like Cam Curl next to him or Benjamin St. Juice that elevate his play. And I think that's exactly what you're getting. I think he's, he does a good job, but I'm not, my expectations for him aren't that he's Sean Taylor. Like, you know what I mean? They're for that. He's going to be Bobby McCain and he is that each week. And so like, for example, on that play, like that's a tough fit. And I'm not even sure that that's a misfit by him. You know, that might be a misfit by Jamin because usually you want, if you're the linebacker, you want to take the a gap. So the back has to bubble so that the safety doesn't have to take on a back running straight ahead. So to me, it looks like he's, he's Bobby's fitting off of Jamin and Jamin may have misfit it. So we're getting, we're, Bobby's being criticized here, but that could be a misfit by Jamin. And I like the way Jamin played that he's playing physical. He's playing fast, but again, like that's a little bit like a little mistake in the context and the structure of the defense that makes Bobby look bad. Right. And then there's the big play to Alec Pierce. And I think a lot of people are like, Oh, why isn't Bobby making that play? They're in cover six. So cam curl is to that same side. They run a corner by number two and number one runs a post. So Cam's going to match the, the the corner and Bobby's on the other side of the field in cover two. He's that's his responsibility, that half. 
And so he's getting there late, but that's the expectation. So they have a, the Colts have a good play called there that is designed to beat that coverage structure. And Benjamin St. Juice probably could play that a little bit better, but that's tough sledding because you don't have inside help. So in both of those looks, I'm kind of like, man, Bobby gets roasted for that. But one of those for sure isn't Bobby's fault. And the other one might not be Bobby's fault. And for him to even kind of slow Taylor down enough on that run so that Forrest can make a hit, I think is important. So like Bobby, I think, I think a lot, this happens a lot. Fans, reporters, I'm this way too. You kind of get in these cycles of being like, this guy's always screwing this up. But in reality, that's not always the case, you know? And I think, again, we don't understand exactly what's going on, but I think uh, Bobby has been good. He's been fine. He's been fine. And that, that is what essentially what you have in most NFL teams is you have fine players you have bad players and then you have players that elevate your roster. Right. And so in this case, you mentioned the defensive line, you mentioned cam, those guys are elevating the roster, right? You know, you mentioned Cole, you mentioned Jamin. I think they're good. They have the potential to ascend. I think Bobby's kind of in that same tier, like, and can you upgrade? Absolutely. But is he doing a good job for the team? I think that's kind of where I fall on that. Well, cool. Like I said, this is why we have you here to, 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 to set me straight. And <laughs> no, it's not setting anybody straight, but it's like, no, no, no. Because like that's I get that all the time, and it's like oh so and so missed this tackle, and I'm like that's not really his fault, you know. Like quite frankly, like that's somebody else's fault. And and understanding some of that I think is important for context. And can he play better? Yeah, he can play better. But is he doing kind of what I expected him to do? That's also yes. So maybe my expectations are different than a lot of people's, and that's why I'm happy. Well, and also like look, I'm realistic. You can't have. 22 all pros out there yeah. on offensive defense right there's any team pick whoever you think is the best team in the league they've got some some holes somewhere on the roster the question is can you mitigate the damage of those that those holes may have cost by yeah. by having better players elsewhere and those like you know issues are fine maybe your safety isn't the best but you've got two dynamic corners and the pass rush is getting there and all that kind of stuff and and that's maybe still where there it's a bit of a work in progress um, all right, before I let you go, Kirk, Kirk Cousins, you, you played with him. Let me ask you this, because obviously they're playing this week, and it's b- bizarre that this is the first time he's been back. It feels like he's been gone for you know forever at this point. <laughs> um, I've been thinking about this this week. It's a complete and utter hypothetical. If they had re-signed him, mm. where would he be? And I say that because we know the world that we have existed in watching this team, where it's been – you know, they, they bring in Alex Smith. Unfortunately, he gets hurt. And then it's just been a unsettling quarterback merry-go-round ever since. Sure. It's, whereas Kirk Cousins never gets hurt. Mm-hmm. So presumably he would have been playing. And everybody, we keep talking about, hey, they got to get a quarterback. Okay, well, you had a quarterback in Kirk Cousins. But he's not considered elite. And if anything, he's arguably, for some people, frustrating. Because he yeah. gets paid a lot of money and he only gets the Vikings to point X. And that's kind of yeah. where it was here. So if he had been here, maybe everybody's like super frustrated. Like, uh, Kirk Cousins can't win enough. On the other hand, here's where they're at. And you're like, oh, God, if only they could get a guy like Kirk Cousins. So what do you think would have happened if Kirk Cousins actually stayed? Would they would they actually have broken through? Or would people just be frustrated the way it seems like Minnesota fans are? Granted, this year they're 7-1. They're and one. Yeah. Things look good, but we'll see about the postseason. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's like the ultimate like alternate history question. Like what if President <laughs> yeah. Lincoln never gets assassinated, right? Um, I think uh, I think Jay might not be fired. I think he ends up winning some more games as, as the season progresses. You don't have uh, – it's easier to keep a roster together around a solid quarterback, depending on how much money you paid him. And based on the number that they were floating around at the time, um, I think that would have been a steal for what he brings, given the quarterback market as it is now. Like now to get a guy – like just to put it in perspective, like if you, let's say, Car- let's say Carson came out and even had like a solid year this year, you got to pay him $40 million to be your quarterback next year. You know, and they were talking about, do we give Kirk $28 million at the time? And obviously there's been an extension since then, all those different things. But I do think that like the complexion of this organization looks drastically different because when you do have a quarterback locked in, even one that's maybe not fantastic, um, it puts you in a position where you can say, oh, let's build around this guy. We have a direction. We have a path. And I think that's what you see in Minnesota, right? Obviously, they've done some things offensively where they've been able to get guys like Justin Jefferson. They've been able to get guys like Adam Thielen and support him. And I think that would have allowed that. That would have been nice here. And, you know, would you have ever won a Super Bowl with him? Probably not. I'm not going to say no, but probably not. And I think, um, you know, is, is it better to be have a winning record 
you know, over the last, how long has he been gone since 2017 was his last year. Yeah. So would it be better to have a winning record for the last five years? Probably. Would a lot of fans be more excited about the team? Probably. Um, but again, like this is an organization that uh, doesn't all, th- those probably don't always happen. You know what I mean? Like you said, like he yeah. might've gotten hurt or disgruntled or whatever. Um, so I, I think that the, the, the landscape of this organization and team probably feels a little bit different at this point. If he's the quarterback, even if he's not, you know, a top five guy or top 10 guy. Right. But like I said, then like, cause there was a lot of the fan base who just never embraced him because yeah. he wasn't RG three basically. Yeah. So that's why I think it's so funny to wonder, like, I, I, I used to uh, I, uh, cover Georgetown basketball a lot. Yeah. And for years under their former coach, John Thompson, the third, they would be a great team during the regular season. They'd go enter the NCAA tournament as a two or a three seed, and then immediately lose in the first weekend to some college you've never heard of. Right. And everybody was like, I rate. And I always tell people, look, I get it. But just to be clear, the four months leading up to the tournament, you really have a good time. They're like <laughs> 25 and seven. You don't know what's going to happen now. Yeah. Last year, under a new coach, they lost their last 21 games and didn't win a game in the Big East. I mean, losing right. in the first round of the NCAA tournament looks a lot better. Now. Right. And but 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 you don't know, and that that's yeah. why I just think the Cousins thing would be so fascinating because I think people would be hostile if he kept getting them to nine, ten wins and not further. Yeah. But man, it looks a lot better. It looks What's a lot better than on? what it's been, you know. Like, and I think that's something that's important to keep in mind. <laughs> you know, like the um, I, I like to I like to win football games, and he'll win you more football games than he'll lose, I think. And, you know, someone just said, oh, he's just over 500. And that's kind of who he is. But he also had a stretch there where he was playing a lot as a rookie and didn't look very good. So I think that's also important. Like, he's grown a lot as a player and watching him now. You can tell, you know, he's in that kind of Derek Carr pantheon, those guys that are good. Their process is good. Their mechanics are good. They got enough arm strength, but they just, uh, you know. And so, again, (laughs) you know, maybe you're fist, but at least you're winning football games. Yeah. Uh, go check out Logan's work. Uh, Logan underscore Paulson 82 on Instagram. Of course, he's all over the commander's uh, website. He's got the take command podcast with Craig Hoffman. He's got more jobs. I'm sure I'm leaving out 12 things that you do that I didn't even get to. Um, but uh, still not on Twitter, though, right? You're still, no, you're still- I'm still I, I just every time I'm, I'm about to do it. I just, I talked to one of you guys and it's like, man, I was talking to John and John's like, oh, Twitter's the worst. And I'm like, I'm not ready for that emotional drain on my life at the moment. Well, also Twitter's going through a bit of an upheaval. So if nothing else, wait and see what happens here over the next <laughs> few weeks and months. And we'll see if any of us are still on Twitter. Um, Logan, man, always appreciate it. Look forward to catching you out at the, uh, at the park. We'll talk soon. Yep. Sounds good, man. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. All right. And while I was getting ready to publish the podcast, the commanders did in fact make a move at the trade deadline. They moved William Jackson to the Steelers. So I needed to seek out a cornerback to discuss this who wasn't traded today. Here he is. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Fred smooth. You know what? You know what being, I wish I was traded today. That means I still be in circulation, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know how much you paid attention. It was a wild yeah. trade deadline. I mean, obviously the Jackson deal is important here, yeah. but you know, a relatively yeah. small move in terms of impacting the league this year, but you had, Bradley Chubb getting moved and a lot of teams making moves. I, in, in your day, not to make you yeah, sound the Claypool, like, the Claypool move, the, the Jeff Wilson move, the uh, Bradley Chubb move. I love it, man. I, I, you know what? The NFL has always been proactive in taking things to the next level. Uh, small things are, are starting to be very uh, exciting, such as the offseason. is starting to be very basketball-like. The, uh, uh, the, the trade deadline is starting to be very baseball-like. Uh, so, you know what, I think we're just going into a generation where the Carolinas of the world, the, the Bears of the world understand now why I keep playing if we ain't got a vision. I And, and, and I understand them. I, I wonder why we weren't in the Raekwon Smith sweepstakes, you know, if they just wanted a second in the field. But at the end of the day, I think teams now are very realistic in their vision, how they want to get there and what it really takes to do it. Well, and to that end, like I've been discussing this for a while, like, is Washington going to be realistic in its doings? And I don't want to get you in any trouble per se, but right. If they're not, Robert Vera <laughs> told us the other day, they're not looking to trade anybody. Yeah. New Jackson was a separate issue. Okay, fine. Well, what about going the other way? If you're going to play this, like, Hey, we're trying, like you said, yeah. does it make sense to move future picks for immediate help? I would probably say no, but I kind of am wondering like, well, mm. don't be in the middle, pick a side, go yeah. in yeah. or drop out. And they're still sort of in the middle. 
Well, I, I think I would put myself if I was Coach Rivera. I, if I was Coach Rivera, third year, uh, you know what comes with a coach with a third year pressure. Yes, if I do go out and try to make a trade right now, a win now trade, it, it does show some urgency and it does say, uh, okay, maybe one more piece can get us over. But you got to realize you're dealing with somebody that's not only the coach, he's the GM also. So to 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 it kind of undermines him saying, all right, well, I made these picks and I made these picks for a reason. Uh, I think you're starting to see the, the flowers blossom with a guy like Jamin Davis. Uh, I think you're starting to see, like, uh, especially with Cam Curl back, the defense is starting to play uh, up to their potential. And offensively, I, I, it's an enigma. I, like, at one point, I see an offense that can't be stopped. And then the next minute, I see an offense that can't get out their own damn way. So it's one of them things where how good could we be if we eliminate the mistakes and everybody play for their potential. I was one of the people that said when Antonio Gibson goes to running back 1B, he becomes Dave Meggett. He becomes Eric Metcalf. He becomes a 700-707 guy. That means seven rushing, seven receiving, uh, seven returning. That's special. I, I, I felt like they could take it to the next level. The question is now, when Sam Cosby comes back, because this is how I feel, you know I like to shuffle the cards sometimes. To me, he's the best guard on this team. Could be one of the best guards in football if he's a guard. I just think that arm length stops him from being a dominant tackle. I think if you move him, the guard is similar to uh, a couple of players that move the guard and become a dominant force. I think he can become that. And I have to ask myself, truly, when we, we did trade William Jackson III today, I feel for him, uh, but I'm sure he he's happy about that because there's some things happening with that. But are you going to be real with yourself with Kendall Fuller not having the best year? You know, do you try to move him to free safety? Like these questions have to be asked. Great questions. You, you're preaching to the choir on the Sam Cosme thing. I've been talking about that, but let me circle it back to the specific position reason why we, you know, talking to you makes so much sense today. What did not work with William Jackson? What, why did this thing just not work out from the jump? All right, right. Here go a couple of things in free agency that I think people don't get when it comes to the fan and the media. First of all, when you're a free agent, you're taking on a locker room probably in your fourth, fifth year. You've got used to a locker room. You're taking on a new locker room, new teammates, new city, new organization, new everything. It takes months, it, if not their first year, to just get settled in. Second of all, you have to understand you got paid off of uh, one probably being in a situation that fits your skill set, meaning the team that drafted you usually going to draft you to do a certain thing and they're going to draft you because you do that certain thing well. And usually when teams sign your free agent, they you looking at the best free agent, not the best fit. Uh, he was never the best fit here. Now he would be because all of a sudden. The last three weeks, we playing a ton of man-to-man, you know? And I'm sure he's sitting at home wondering, why weren't you doing it when I was out there, you know? Right. So at the end of the day, it's a mixture of a little bit of all of that. And once both sides start to rub each other the wrong way, because I'm one of the people with a clear vision of this. When I was in Minnesota, I went and signed my big deal there. I enjoyed facets of it, but I was never truly happy. And I had to ask myself, oh, I was over there. I was making plays. I was getting paid. But it was something I was missing, and I didn't realize it until I had to come back to D.C. to play uh, Washington at the beginning of the season, first game. And from walking in the stadium to, to leaving it, I knew then I was coming back home. Like, nobody else knew, but I knew what I was missing, and that happiness can't be bought by money. That happiness can't be bought by a contract, and, and you will never get the best out of player unless they happen. Uh, I, I totally 100% get that uh, for, for sure. So let me ask you this. Okay, I'm with you. Clearly the fit did not work at all. And Ron Rivera today on Tuesday said on TV, NBC4, that uh, clearly somewhere along the way they made a mistake in their evaluation. Oh, I think that was kind of harsh. I wouldn't say you made a mistake because he's a he, he can play man-to-man just as good as anybody in the league. I mean, in the league. But – when you go to a defense, you go from a defense in Cincinnati that was very blitz happy and man to man on the back end. When you come to a team that's totally not blitz happy and wants to play a lot of stand zone, wait, get punched and react, you're not going to be your best. I'm sorry. I don't think the evaluation was wrong. I thought the execution on using him was wrong. Well, and that's what I was going to ask, because one of the things like people have heard me say this a lot and I'm not the only one. The reason for me why Joe Gibbs is the best coach, I mean, you know, 
Belichick's mm-hmm. good, you know, whatever. But yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> is because every year he seemingly looked at the team he had and decided based on that, this is what we will do. That's why they had mm-hmm. the John Riggins run heavy offense. And then later these pass happy attacks and so on. And it feels yeah. like here, like with Jackson, now maybe you don't want to rearrange your entire defense for one player, but like at the same point, you spent a lot of money on him. Why mm-hmm. play him? I don't know. In and zone. Why, yeah. Why play him in a situation I mean, and they were pretty, everybody was pretty apparent, you know, transparent about that last year, that it was that yeah. transition that was the problem. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is some coordinators, uh, I've played for tons of them, the Greg Williams of the world, the Mike Tumlin's of the world. I played with coordinators. And the Bella coordinators, I think, are all about the Jimmy and the Joes. They are about the 11 players that's on the field, no matter what 11 it is. Uh, backups, fill-ins, all 11 starters don't matter. They usually Jimmy and Joe's over X's and O's. And uh, some coordinators are more my scheme over players. And therefore, they'll try to fit a square pig in a round hole and say, you know what, you just go out there and you just play football the way I want you to play football. And that rubs our players the wrong way because our players want to be set up for success. We all out here for one to win, Two, to be successful and make plays. All right, well, if I lose trust of you as a defensive coordinator and I trust you not putting me in the best uh, situation to make plays, we're not going to be on the same page anyway. And you damn sure ain't going to get the best uh, talent out of me. And you're not going to get my high-end talent of what I can bring to the table. Yeah, no, for, for w- w- no, no doubt. Um, you mentioned the Jimmy and the Joes. So yeah. when, when, when William Jackson gets benched in week five against Tennessee, uh, basically – Right after that, Benjamin St. Juice goes outside. I don't think mm-hmm. a third round pick is a Jimmy or a Joe, but Rashad Wild Goose, a guy mm-hmm. who had basically no experience in the NFL, comes in yeah. and starts playing as the slot. And I'm not saying that this is all of a sudden the best secondary of all time, but it feels like they've been steadier. It feels mm-hmm. like they've been, uh, you know, keeping keeping the, the mistakes from happening. And the other team, the, the offenses are going to make plays, so you can't shut yeah. everybody down. Why yeah. is that? What has changed over these last three weeks, if you agree with that, that these guys feel more stable than what was happening before? I think it's more maturation of the team. One, everybody wants the team to be ready week one. This is, we ain't living in a microwave society that want it done now. Well, some things are better when mama and grandma used to cook it, when it took time and love. Uh, no, the players got better as the season got on. Jamin Davis got better. Uh, the D-line started to play better. Uh, the safeties, Cam Carroll coming back, started to play better. All right, so at the end of the day, it ain't a William Jackson thing. It's maybe Coach got in a, 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 a his groove in calling plays, trying to figure out what do this group do well. All right, well, by that time, William Jackson was on the outs anyway because he wasn't comfortable. He wasn't happy as the person, as a player. So they was on the outs anyway. So I don't think it's either one thing. They're not. And let's not act like the, the, the back end is going out there changing games because right. it's a lot to be desired. Because I'm, I'm sure as much as they hold William Jackson accountable, they got to hold Kendall Fuller accountable also. He's not having the best year at the cornerback position. You put Wild Goose out there because right now you have nothing to lose. You got to put somebody out there. And I'm wondering why Danny Johnson hasn't played. All he did each year you put him in is play good football. But to that standing is – they're playing better football, one, also, is because the offense is making third downs. All right? When the offense don't make third downs, that means we play 75 to 80 plays, and our offense play 50 plays. You show me that, I'll show you a loser. For the last couple of weeks, the plays have been in the 70s. The defense have been in the 50 and the 60s. That, show you, that, that, that leaves you for less prone to mistakes because you're not out there as much. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Uh, l- let me ask you: Is it you, you mentioned now Fuller a couple of times? Um, you know, they signed him. I would imagine originally to play outside, but when they then signed Jackson and draft St. Juice, I assume the plan was that Fuller was going to play a lot in the slot. But then yeah. last year, he clearly seemed to play better on the outside, and that led to off the bat this year, you know, the unusual circumstance of St. Juice going inside. And now they've yeah. you know, alleviated that. What what do you see that's different with Fuller this year? It's hard to say. Uh, a part of me say maybe he's lost a step. 
But uh, I think he's too knowledgeable as a football player for that to be the case because usually when uh, Conan's lose a step, they go more into the mental warfare. I don't know more if it's, he's guessing. Uh, his technique is not as clean as it usually is, but it's just something says he's not comfortable right now. He's not, because I've seen him a lot more comfortable and around the ball a lot more. I'm not, like, you don't have to get picks, but I need to see you around the ball and ball active. But, you know, I don't know his PPF or uh, uh, what's going on this year, but I'm sure it's not as high as it usually is. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of PFF, Cam Curl, at least I think after this week, but at least last week, was, the, was their number one safety in the league. Uh, Derek Forrest was very high also. So it seems like those guys are doing a good job. Um, I had Logan Paulson on earlier today before the trade. All right. And I asked him about Bobby McCain because I was saying that, like, when I'm watching, like, we don't ever talk about Bobby McCain, good or bad. We talk about everybody yeah. else. Yeah. And it feels like when I'm watching some of the tape, I'm seeing a guy who's, I'm not saying he's playing terribly, but it seems like he's often in the mix of the play that the other team is yeah. making good gains. Yeah. And I wanted to ask <laughs> what, as a defensive yeah. back, what do you see there? Uh, always in the mix. It's like sometimes he eat a, a a a second late. I eat a second early. I uh, you know it's yeah. like it's like sometimes he's he's trying to find his way. And me as a cornerback, for me to be aggressive, I need him to stay in the middle of the field. To me, he comes up missing from the middle of the field too much. Uh, I want you to be aggressive as a safety. I want you to come down on posts. I want you to make some plays, but I also want you to. I want to be able to play my technique and play my game knowing you're going to be where you're supposed to be at. Like, that's one of the most concrete things a free safety can ever be, and that's where he's supposed to be at. And you're right, some of his play has been erratic, but then he'll come in the late parts of the game, and he'll make that play to make you forget about the, the three other times that he came up in the wrong position. So I don't, I can't say uh, he's not playing clean. I just, like I say, he's a second early, a second too late. If he can just find it one step i think he'll get there i i, I couldn't agree more with that because i was noting earlier that in the on the play where jonathan taylor ends up fumbling but he first busts through the line it's like mccain yeah. was running like 100 miles an hour to get to the hole then overran the hole and yes. then taylor came through yeah. and then there are other plays were like wait why is he hesitating and of course as i'm sure you you know always thought when you were playing we don't know on the outside the play call so we don't really know exactly what's happening. So that's why I don't want to be, I want to be cautious. That's why I'm asking yeah. like you, like what, what, yeah. uh, what do you think? Um, just in general, I guess this defense has been better after they're really yep, bad. It has, it, it has been better, but both of us can sit here and say, uh, have they reached their potential? I think the front is causing damn problems. People got to get Ridgeway, big Ridgeway some props too. He's, he's came in and fit right in with that group. Uh, uh, the linebackers have shockingly played well the last three, four games. I have to really get them guys some prop. Cole Hope and Jamie Davis showed up. Even Mayo played well, well this game. I just I'm ready for the back end and the front end to connect. I'm ready for them to play off of each other. I'm ready. I'm ready for them to press more. That's why I love St. Juice on their outside. And, and the problem is, can Kendall match him on the other side with the pre the pressing attribute? Because that's one thing me and Champ did well was we pressed at the same time no matter what the call was if I, if we saw one of us walk down the other one wheel because we need that to shield us from the quarterback of what we in or what we trying to hide it, it allows you to play in unison with the line and if that, that line can get one mississippi two mississippi three they can make sacks no doubt but i just think the front end and the back end ain't played to their potential yet and they're saying a lot considering how they playing so they just say it's room to get a lot better yeah, uh, for 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 sure. Uh, it would be crazy for me to not ask. Uh, what do you think of the the uh, the offense, particularly with Taylor Heineke the last couple of weeks? It's still not high scoring, but it feels like yeah. it's been more effective play to play. But what do you, what's your what's your view? Third down. We talked about third down. He's been better on third down. All right, he go with Heineke is better than Wentz in the uh, everyday plays in the. Uh, third and three slant uh, he can he can throw those all day those move the chain where Carson Wentz is better than him is dropping that 40 yard bun 50 yard bun well you're only gonna do that once or twice a game all right so it's not I think it's the connectivity and also 
Heineke has this Rocky effect, this underdog effect, this he's Shane Falco, this 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 steamy Willie Beeman. He's he's this walking mythological unicorn creature that everybody is 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 gravitating towards because everybody loved the underdog. This guy was a librarian two years ago, and every like he makes the the, the regular man. Say I can play football, I, and I think that's enduring. It's it's similar to the Steph Curry effect, where everybody can see themselves being Steph Curry, but everybody can't be LeBron James. Everybody can't be six eight, two fifty, but you can develop a shot like Steph. Curry. So I think with Heineke, he energizes them. Now this is what I need him to do. I need him and Scott Turner to get on the same page. Like Scott Turner. He makes you love him, but then he can make you hate him all in 60 minutes, you know? <laughs> and that's the thing about him. He would come out with this great call, and then he'll come out for three drives and just not even be methodical, just be erratic. No plays are connected. And, and that's the problem. Like, I need you to get the ball to Terry early and often. I need you to have – I need you to go matchup football. Sometimes I think we just – we got play calls. I need matchup football. And that's what I saw for the first time this week. Bringing Antonio Gibson out early in the game, starting him, showed me that they understood that this team was built from the inside out. And these dead defensive line, one guy can run sideline to sideline, but most of them couldn't. Right, so that was the smartest thing to start him. This is the first time I've seen them actually do that. Yeah, I love it. I love as a reminder to the people listening. Fred has the best sayings. You're, I'm, I'm still I'm gonna. I gotta use the microwave one with with the grandma earlier. Now uh, you know, getting to get. You, you know, it tastes better when that love in it. You know that love in it. It, it tastes better, but you know, we, everybody want it now. We in an instant society. Oh, trust me. As as somebody who's in t- most of his diet reflects on like microwaving food, I understand <laughs> completely. By the way. Who, who uh, you mentioned this guy earlier. So who's the best Washington quarterback this century? Uh, Taylor Heineke, Kirk Cousins, RG3, or Shane Falco? Wow. Well, Shane Falco is all in the mix. Huh? <laughs> I love, that's my favorite but, but, name like of any like player, Shane Falco. I love that name. Hey, listen, I would go RG3 was the biggest sensation. And uh, I think RG3 was dead was that they're just whiffing the wind that we thought we had that quarterback for like decades. Like yeah. we saw a lot in him. And then you know how that ended. Kirk Cousins was the, uh, was the wife that always knew she was going to leave us. You know, that's, that's who he was. He was, he was the wife just sitting back waiting for us to, to get that promotion at work for it. She can leave us just at the right time. And I, and I think, we always saw the talent and we believed in him, but Kirk got his own hurdles he got to get over. You know, when it comes to big games, he got he has to get over that. He's always been known as a stat herder. All right, if you go in his house, it's hoarded stats all over his house. You can't even walk. And that's the thing about it. Can he make the plays when they count? But them getting TJ Hawkinson uh today was was crazy. Now, not only do you got Thielen on the outside, Jefferson on the outside, Delvin Cook running the ball. You got you got Hawkinson who can beat one-on-ones in the inside. He has no more excuses. Like I played in Minnesota. That's a fickle fan base. That fan base has never tasted a trophy. I know the commanders are salty. The fans are salty because we haven't did anything in the last couple of decades. Imagine never having a trophy. I would dance to Minnesota Vikings. So, you know what, at the end of the day, he got a lot on his shoulders and hopefully he can do it, but not this week, but hopefully he can do it, you know, beyond this time. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, speaking of that, let me ask you this. I asked this to, to Logan. So obviously the Vikings are coming into town this week. It's the Fred yeah. Smoot bowl. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> we, we only know what we know. And what we know is that in 2017, after that season, Kirk Cousins left, signed with the Vikings, and we know that, you know, they couldn't work out a deal for whatever the reason, and Washington's been basically in the desert ever since, certainly since Alex Smith got hurt, and, you know, this constant frustration about what's the quarterback plan. Yeah. On the other hand, if they had kept Kirk Cousins, and he does the things that you're saying about, like, which is accurate, like, in big games, he gets you to a point, but doesn't take you beyond that point, would everybody here just be incredibly frustrated saying you got to do better at quarterback? But if you knew what it would be without him, maybe you'd be like, well, I'd rather go this way. So so what do you think actually happens if Cousins stays? Are people just incredibly annoyed and frustrated? Or is it good enough? Like, what do you think would actually happen if he actually had stayed? 
you know what? That if that if is a big old if because we just don't know. You know, if he stayed, do Trent Williams stay? You know, like so. It's just so much to this story, and we've seen this story that Minnesota has watched for the last three years. All right, what did he? What has he done in Minnesota that he didn't do here? He's done Kirk Cousins things. So I, I don't know. Like, I'm just happy our fan base got went to therapy. Uh, went to first of all, we had to go to counseling. We had to go to rehab to get off of Kirk Kane. This whole fan base was just gone off of it. I they we loved him. They didn't want to let him go. But I'm sorry, some habits ain't good for you. And he was not a good habit for us because this fan base can't take the letdown. So I can't play the if game. All I know is this. He hasn't won a Super Bowl in Minnesota. He hasn't taken them to an NFC championship. So I have to say he would have probably did the same for us, right? It's a reasonable thought, but that's just what's so fascinating. You only know what you know. It's just like this. Can I give you this? Kirk Cousins could be the Wolf of Wall Street. That's what I call him. He's the Wolf of Wall Street. He's the best accountant the NFL has ever accounted. He's, if you want somebody to do your taxes, Kurt is the guy. All right, he's about that money. But his record in the NFL, I think now is like 61, 55, and one. This is about as 500 as you can get. All right. And yeah. to make the money he's made, like that's that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, I'm trying to picture Kirk Cousins hanging out with the, the people from the Wolf of Wall Street. That feels like the most awkward combination of all time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um all right. Well, look, uh, I appreciate the time. I'll let you go. Uh bit of an emergency call to, to reach out, but I wanted your insight on William Jackson and where these guys are wacky for sure uh i guess we will see what happens moving forward but i think it was a move they had to make uh fred you rock i always appreciate the time i gotta ask you this ben yeah i gotta ask you this Go was that it. a raccoon a big rat or a cat over there that was behind you? <laughs> that's my that's my that's my guy lenny that's my cat <laughs> I, I didn't know exactly what creature it was. I thought it was Racket Raccoon for a while. I didn't know. Uh, no, L- Lenny's a you know L- Lenny's a big part of the podcast. He makes free, he makes guest appearances. Um, yeah, I don't. I used when I first started doing this, I would like close my door to my office. So yeah. you know, you got to be professional. And at some point, I just like eh. So he just comes in and. Did you? What? Why did you name him Lenny? Not not the Len Bias, did you? Why you named him Lenny? Yeah, uh, Len Bias and Lenny Kravitz. Wow, I'm shocked I hit that on the head. You, you you did well. I'm a local. I'm a local kid. Len Bias is you know one of my heroes, and obviously yeah. incredibly sad. And uh, you know I'm a I'm a bar mitzvah boy, and Lenny Kravitz is the the, the coolest Jew ever. So the combination. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz, one of the coolest people about that. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, yes. so it, it, it worked out. Um, hey, all the time, brother. All well, the time. I pre- I appreciate. No, I won't let I won't let Lenny know you thought he might be a raccoon. But other than that. <laughs> Hey, maybe it's Halloween. I just didn't know. I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right, brother.